The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Hello, my name is Jana. Today I will be reading scripture from Genesis and the book of Acts. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Genesis 50 verses 15 to 21. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg for you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, He broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Acts 17 verses 22 to 27. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice you are religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, To an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I am telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Amen. Thank you, Jana, for reading the scripture to us this morning. And uh, what a privilege it is to be together. I'm, my name is Terry Jank. I'm one of the pastors here at White Ridge Baptist Church. And for all of those in the room and for those that are at home or elsewhere, we welcome you. Um, the, uh, as Kevin said, next Sunday is a very important service as we hope to have many more people in the building. And we look forward to that. Uh, really appreciate the task force that has been working hard to make sure that uh, we resume more people in this service on a weekly basis in a safe way, an orderly way, and so thank you for that. 
I want to tell you about the James series that is coming up. Uh, Two weeks from today, we start into studying the book of James all fall, and I'm calling the series The Evidence of a Genuine Faith, Pursuing What Matters to God. And even as you can see the image that we've chosen of a tree that is being reflected in a lake, that's a picture of what we're going to be studying. There is a genuine faith that God wants for us in Jesus Christ, And to the degree that we follow him and depend on him and are filled with his Holy Spirit, we reflect that genuine faith as God intends us to to have in our world. And so we're going to be studying that piece by piece all the way through this fall season. And um, today we're going to be actually finishing the book of Genesis. We've been here for a whole year And today is our last Sunday on the book of Genesis. And if you want to follow along with me in your bulletin, you'll notice a a yellow insert. You can do that. And if you're at home, if you go on your uh, computer to the weekly bulletin update on our webpage, you will see the same notes that uh, we have here. And I want to begin this morning uh, by a little bit of Scrabble. You Scrabble fanatics that are out there, sorry I'm putting up this... uh, sequence of words back to school. Maybe some of you kids don't want to be remembering back to school, or maybe some of you teachers don't want to be thinking about it, but it's coming two days away. And uh, so to start with, I'd like to um, think about a bit of a word quiz, and I'm going to ask you, tell me, if you can, what do all of these words have in common? You don't have to tell me, actually, but what, what do all of these words have in common? Bible, biblical, trinity, discipleship, evangelism, exposition, counseling, ethics, politics, providence. What do all those words have in common? It's kind of a trick question. What, I, what the answer is, is they all have in common in the fact that none of them are found in the Bible. None of these words are found in the Bible. Might be a kind of a surprise to some of you, but the concepts are found in the Bible, but the words are not found in the Bible. And since I have used one of these words in my sermon title, the word providence, Joseph's legacy living under the providence of God, it's important that I define what I mean when I use the word providence because technically we can't turn to the Bible and say, well, the Bible's definition of providence is because the Bible doesn't use the word and therefore, in a sense, it doesn't define that same word. So how do we go about then understanding what providence is, especially as we use it as Christians and in keeping with what the Scripture teaches? Dave Barton, our chairman of the board, is taking us as a board through the attributes of God. So far we have studied the infinity of God or the infinite God, the immutability of God. That means he never changes. The self-sufficiency of God, he has no needs. The omnipotence, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, he's everywhere present, and so on. And, And providence is one of the attributes of God. God works through his providence. What is God's providence, and how do we define it? Well, let's think about that. One of the things we could do is we could drive down the road, Highway 59, to go to Providence University College and Seminary. Surely somebody there must know what the word providence means. Eh, I'm not going to do that, I don't think. What's another way we could figure out what the word means? Well, we could look it up in the dictionary. The uh, online dictionary says that providence is divine guidance or care God conceived as the power sustaining and guiding human destiny. 
We could dig even deeper than a dictionary, and we could look at the etymology of the word or the origin of the word, and that means that it comes from the Latin word providentia, meaning foresight or prudence, and that in turn from pro, ahead, and, and videre, which means to see. To see ahead of time, to foresee, to see to it. That's the idea of providence. In the scriptures in Isaiah 46.10, we read, uh, I declare, God says, the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, I say, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purposes, God says. God says, I am providential, I will see to it. That's what the word providence means. In fact, every time when you're in your Old Testament, every time you find the Hebrew word that might be provide, where we get providence to, same root. Well, the word in Hebrew is actually to see, to see. Abraham and Isaac, remember that? God says to Abraham, go and sacrifice your only son, Isaac. They're on the way up to the mountain, and, and Isaac says to Abraham, Father, Father, the, the fire is here and the wood, but where's the lamb? What does he say? What does Abraham say? He says, God will provide the lamb. The word is see. God will see to it, Isaac. God will see to it. Don't worry. What else could we do? Well, uh, we could actually go way back in time, almost 500 years, and we could read the Heidelberg Catechism, which has question 27 saying, what do you understand by the providence of God. And here it is. The almighty, everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Has that been a little more helpful? How do we understand a word? Providence. Last night I was decided I would turn the TV on and look at some television, and I turn on the TV, and, and there is the women's, Canadian women's soccer team playing soccer. I'm alone at home, the other kid, family is away, and so I, I text the family and I say, guess what? The women's team is playing soccer. Jonathan, our son, texts me back and said, I bet you Germany wins 2 nothing." I'm thinking, oh, you want to play this game? Okay. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to say Canada wins 1-0. And then I realized it's the 2016 Olympics. <laughs> Only dads do that sort of thing and get mocked for it. See, see, he had this knowledge. He could see what was going to be the end of the game. That's God. God's providence truly seeing foreseeing and providing because he foresees. Incredible. God. We could look at more current writers like John Piper who distinguishes between the word sovereignty and providence this way. God's sovereignty is his right and power to do all that he decides to do and God's providence is his wise and purposeful sovereignty. 
Or in more plain language, he writes this. He says, one of the basic doctrines of Christianity is that history is God's highway to an appointed future. History is not a random path cut through the countryside by people without a compass. It's a highway that leads from creation to consummation, engineered by God who directs everything. History is going somewhere. And if I would dare add, I would say, and it's providence that takes us there. God's providence. This is a deep, deep undercurrent of the entire Christian worldview and the biblical material. And so, I know I'm prolonging this introduction and you're wondering why, right? (laughs) I'm prolonging this introduction for a purpose. Some of you might have enjoyed all of the definitions that I've given of a word providence. Some of you might, or might really tie into definitions and propositional truth statements like I've read. But some of you might have been lost after I read the first definition. And the reason is, I get it, because we don't think or live in propositional truth terms. We live in stories. One of my favorite authors, Frederick Beekner, said, We all live storied lives, and the story of any one of us is somehow the story of all of us. And that's why the God of the Bible that gave us the Bible, he didn't just give us a bunch of theological definitions of big words. He didn't just give us a bunch of statements about what truth is. We get that. We get to see in Paul's epistles, when we study James, we're going to see a lot of truth defined. But, but you know what two-thirds of this book is? It's narrative. Two-thirds of this book are stories. God gave us stories because we live storied lives, and in the stories of our lives and the, the stories of other lives, like Joseph that we've been studying, we begin to learn about Things like the providence of God. Better than just reading a definition. That's the way we learn about the providence of God. As Kierkegaard wrote, he said, Life must be lived forward, but it can only be understood backwards. So here we are looking backwards at Joseph and his life and the providence of God in his life. And there are you sitting in your chair, and if you think about it, you can look backwards at your life, and you can understand more about the blessing of God and the providence of God because of looking back at how he's treated you, how he's been good to you. And so, let me just read a couple of more statements before we get on to looking at the story. John Lennox wrote a book called Seven Days That Divide the World. He writes this. The opening chapter of Genesis does something of incalculable importance. It lays down the basis of a biblical worldview. It gives us humans a big story in which our lives can be fitted and from which they can derive meaning, purpose, and value. You see, our little stories are being written into the grand narrative, the big story. Our little subplot stories are being written into the grand story. God is the author. And and the more we get that, and the more we reflect on that and pray that up, we begin to make sense of what God does and why he does what he does. 
One more author, I'll quote a commentary that I've been using all year in, in uh, Genesis, the NIV application commentary by John Walton. By the way, have you noticed that everybody I'm quoting this morning is named John? You see, you, you only get quoted if you're named John. So I'm waiting for John Gertzen or John Giesbrecht or John Wiltshire or John Sedarius or John Stubel or John Tkachuk to write a book. Okay? <laughs> Could you? <laughs> Forget it. We won't wait. Let's go back to John Walton. John Walton says this, we stand on the sidelines of Genesis and watch God at work in the world. Moses' audience, that's Israel, not us. Moses' audience was Israel. They gain a perspective on their years of slavery in Egypt, right? On their rebellion in the desert, on the intimidating Canaanites. Evil cannot triumph. Blessing will prevail. Obstacles will melt away. God's revelation of his mastery over creation is the message of Genesis. What's he saying? What's he describing? He's describing providence. He's describing God's providence over all of creation and all of history and everything to do about you as well. And so God is the author of his providence in our lives. Let's take a look then at Genesis and the story. And I want to just uh, tell you that the, the story of God's providence is throbbing throughout all of the pages, all 50 chapters of Genesis as we've read it. A uh, year ago, when we started into Genesis in, Gen in September of 2019, we had no idea what the coming year would hold. God knew. We had no idea what the last six months would be like. God knew. God knew that the pandemic that has come upon the entire earth would alter and interrupt everybody's life. Everybody's life. God knew. Because God is a providential God working out all of his purposes for his glory and for our good. That is God's providence. The question is, do we see it? And have we seen it in Genesis all year? We began a year ago in Genesis chapter 1, and we opened the story by reading about how God created humans in his image. And in his goodness, he, he gave some of himself to us. In chapters 1 and 2, we read about that image-bearing people we are. In chapter 3, the story takes an immediate turn, a sharp turn. And immediately, we see the tempter enter into, and we see our forefathers rebel. They try to write their own story over God's story for their lives. And they end up falling into sin. Chapter 4, we read about the very first story of the very first family. But before we get to the end of the chapter, that first family has a murderer in it and a dead son. Chapter 6, we read about how sinful and wicked the population of earth is becoming and God has to send a flood to wipe them out and then start over with a man named Noah. These are all God's providential acts fulfilling his purposes. We read about it in chapter 11, how we read again about the pride of humanity in the Tower of Babel and how God sends a confusion upon their language and scatters them throughout the whole earth. Why? For their own good. To redeem a people for himself. And so 
Over and over again, the author of Genesis is Moses. He's trying to convey, as he writes holy history, he's trying to convey how God has, in the midst of evil, brought good. Constantly trying to get us back to the grand story of holy history and recognizing our plan in it. Let's look at the scripture now that was read earlier In Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 to 21, our text this morning, we read just before this that Joseph's brothers are all worried because now their father Jacob is dead. They might be thinking in their minds that the only reason he hasn't killed us all in Egypt is because he doesn't want to discourage his father. So now that Jacob is dead, they're worried. Maybe he's going to do us in. This grieves the heart of Joseph. He says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide. I will see to it. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. Let me make three observations about this text. And uh, the three observations have to do with the blessing of God and the providence of God and how they come together if we understand it properly. And I want to continue what Pastor Doug shared last week as a definition for the blessing that Jacob passed on to his sons. He defined, Doug defined blessing as anything that helps us get closer to God. So if we continue that understanding of blessing... I'd like to share with you three things of how the blessing of God and the providence of God meet up. First of all, the blessing of God comes to us in knowing who we are and who we're not. And again, this comes directly from verse 19. Joseph says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? You see, Joseph understood early in life, somewhere between the age of 17 and 30, Joseph, through all that he'd gone through, figured it out that he was not the one writing his own story, that God was writing his story for him, that he had to follow the storyline of God in his life. Even with all the subplots on the side, Joseph was understanding of the providence of God and the blessing of God that followed that providence. And so he knew who he was, and who he wasn't. Not a lot of people get it that early, 17 to 30 years of age. Some people don't get it till much later in life. Like Charles Colson, for example, who didn't get it until he had spent years in prison because of the Watergate scandal. And what does he come out saying? First of all, he comes out with a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And here's something he said after he got out of prison. He said... I believe in the sovereignty of God because almost everything good that has happened to me, I did not plan. (laughs) Isn't that a great definition of the sovereignty, of the providence of God? I believe in it because almost everything that's happened to me, good, I didn't plan it. Can you see the hand of God looking back at your life? Can you see the hand of God? Can you understand? Joseph's in a place here as he sees his brothers before him in fear. He has the power to wipe them out. He has gone through much suffering at their hands. 
but he understands the providence of God and its blessing. Next we see the blessing of God comes in knowing who God is and how he works. Verse 20, as for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What have we learned through the book of Genesis this whole year? If not, how God works is not very predictable. Can we not say that? I mean, God is far from predictable in Genesis as we see the holy history being written. But he is faithful. He is good. He has one storyline that he's following. I've been trying to demonstrate that in the, in the last several weeks. And one storyline that God is following. The seed of Abraham leading us all the way to Jesus Christ. He's following that. That's the holy history Moses is writing in Genesis. And he has one storyline for your life as well. We somehow start sweating the small stuff. We get off track on the subplots. But God's got one storyline for your life. It is your maturity in faith and in Jesus Christ, trusting in God's providence that whatever comes to your life, you can trust him. He's in control. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Whose words are they? Martin Luther, 500 years ago. He understood the providence of God. And so the blessing of God comes in knowing who God is and, and how he works. I understand that sometimes it's not until looking back years later that you get it. But he's good. And then the third part of this is the verse 21, the blessing of God comes in knowing how to live in light of God's providence. Verse 21, so do not fear. Do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted his brothers and spoke kindly to them. Now let me say to you this, that just as Joseph's brothers did not need to fear, though they were standing before their brother who at that time was all-powerful in Egypt. How much more must we not fear as we stand before the one who truly is the Almighty God, who has all power and brings everything to pass for our good purposes? How much more do we not have cause to fear? How much more than Joseph's brothers do we not only have no cause to fear, but must we then also in that solace be comforted if we will receive the comfort from God Almighty, God all-powerful, God who rules in providence with good intention. And so, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. What better example do we have in our faith than what we saw happen at the cross of Jesus Christ? God made us alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, nailing it to the cross. 
And as Jesus' hands and feet were being nailed to the cross in the secret darkness of Jerusalem, the devil was laughing. Evil was triumphing. They thought they had the last word, all the demonic host. He meant it for evil. The evil one meant it for evil. God meant it for good. We see no better example in our faith of the principle of God's providence than at the cross of Jesus Christ. And so as we prepare for the cross, let me remind you of a few truths that I want you to know of for before you take of the meal this morning, whether you're at home or whether you're here in this room. A few weeks ago, I shared with you a, a quote from a book by Nancy Guthrie called Hearing Jesus Speak into your sorrow. And in this book she says, forgiveness is choosing to absorb the pain and pay the debt yourself that you are rightfully owed, asking God to do a work of grace and quench the fiery anger in your heart. Friends, Joseph is an example of that in the text we're reading. Joseph left all vengeance to God. Joseph gave complete forgiveness to his brothers. How could he do that? Well, he had to absorb some of that in himself, counting on God to be faithful, to replace the anger and the bitterness and hurt that was in his heart with the love and grace and mercy that is always in God's heart. And that's the way God wants to work in you today. If as you come to the table of the Lord this morning, there are things that the Holy Spirit seems to be knocking at your door about, there's somebody that you maybe need to talk to. Maybe you can't partake of the Lord's meal today. That's understandable. Sometimes we can't just go and do that right away. Maybe it's just in the quietness of your own mind and heart, you just need to say, God, I confess it. I'm holding on to this, and I release it again. Seventy times seven, Jesus told Peter. That's how many times you have to forgive so you just decide again today, before you come to the meal, you just decide again today, I'm going to let go of that bitterness. Whatever it is that might be hindering you from absolutely clean, clear fellowship with God right now, because he loves you. He wants to wrap you in his arms. He wants you to be close to him. He wants intimacy with you. If there's anything not letting you have that today, confess it. Deal with it. And then partake of the meal with us in a way that he asks you to. And so in a moment, um, the worship team is going to come and I am going to meet you at the table. In the time that uh, we sing a song, perhaps when you're at home, you might need to go and get the bread and the cup. And those of you that are in this room, would you take the time during this song to move to the station either at the back over here or at the side over there and uh, take the elements back to your chair. Remember, put your mask on as you move in the sanctuary, and then take it back to your chair, and let's partake together when I announce the words of uh, the cup and bread. Thank you.
Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, what a privilege we have when Jesus asked us to do something in remembrance of his death. He didn't, he didn't say recite a big long statement about the truth of the redemption he bought us. He, he said, do something. He said, dramatize it again. Tell the story again. He said, take, take the bread. And the bread represents my body that literally hung on a Roman cross just outside of Jerusalem. And then take the cup and remind the people that my, the cup you drink is a, a, a reflection, a symbol of the blood that it took to wash away your sins, just like we sang about. And so, brothers and sisters, let's give thanks for the cup and the bread. Oh God, what a precious gift you have given in your Son. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to go to the cross for our sins and that you require nothing from us. There's nothing that we can give as payment toward our forgiveness, our eternal life, our right relationship with you. You offered yourself as the lamb. You foresaw, you provided, you saw to it that Jesus was offered. You provided the lamb. Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross and then you gave your blood so that we could be washed clean, the spotless lamb of God. And we thank you, Jesus, today for the bread and the cup that we partake of and we reenact your death today because we know that that is the place where our lives are transformed. In Jesus' name. And now, brothers and sisters, would you enjoy the bread and the cup in remembrance of Christ? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for the truth, the truth that all can be well in our soul, in the midst of everything else, whatever it is, we can know and rejoice and take comfort and solace in that you are sovereign, that you are the one over all things, and that you bless your children. And we know, as we've heard today and over the, over the past while, we remember that blessings look different than what we expect. But we agree, we agree together, Lord, in your presence, that everything good that happens is from you, and a lot of the good that you do that happens isn't stuff that we asked for or that we thought of or we ever would have predicted. And sometimes even in the valleys, that's you doing your work. And I thank you, Lord, that you bless us by bringing us closer to you. I thank you, Lord, that life is all about you being glorified, and I thank you that you allow us to be a part of it however you choose. And I thank you that there is real joy in that, that that is not a consolation prize, that is the prize. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, and I pray that you would bless the rest of this day to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful day.